welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, where we talk about how writing works, how writers work, and how the best writers risk being strange. But today, uh, we have a, just a sort of special presentation. Recently, I was involved in a Kickstarter for a comics anthology called Dead Work, uh, put out by the Dead Work Collective. So I'm, one, I'm just one member of the Dead Work Collective. And to end the Kickstarter, we decided to have a big uh, you know, live stream uh, so we got the recording from the live stream. I'm just going to present it to you here because in addition to just, you know, kind of celebrating a little bit, we actually started talking about uh, comics and the medium of comics and writing and uh, creating art work for comics. And I think some of it was pretty interesting and pretty useful uh, to people who maybe are interested in Kickstarter or interested in comics or just, you know, interested in writing and art. We just want to know more about did work. Uh, Again, uh, the Did Work Kickstarter is over, but you can still go to didwork.ca. Uh, and instead of taking you to the Kickstarter page, that's going to take you to a page on my uh, store where you can pre-order uh, or you know buy a copy of the Did Work comics anthology. So it's a bit more expensive than it would have been if you had kickstarted it. But of course, I want to give the best prices to the people who actually you know, at the time came up and showed up uh, showed up and came out to support the Kickstarter and really make this book possible. So uh, we were successfully funded. Um, we're really looking forward to printing this thing and getting it to you. Uh, so uh, when you're listening to this, the Kickstarter is over, but you still can go to deadwork.ca and that'll take you to where you can buy uh, a copy of Dead Work Comics Anthology. So please consider doing that. Uh, I'm really proud of my work in this book. And I think other people did even better work than me. And really excited to share this Dead Work uh, anthology with you. Uh, and now we'll just move in to the recording of the live stream where we're celebrating uh, having successfully funded our Dead Work Kickstarter. I'm hijacking this this broadcast. I don't even know what's going on. For anyone who's watching, they just are going to turn into like half half bearded men talking about nothing. So it's this is a full beard. Half. Thank you very much. I'm about to celebrate because five yeah, seconds, four, three, three, three two, two, one. one. Boom! Yeah, two hundred thirty-eight backers. We got an extra buck in the last like little bit. Right. Thirteen one one six. Every dollar. Okay, Two, Gregory. Three, now backers. please take control of this meeting again. I have taken control of this meeting. I hereby call this meeting of the Deadwork Collective to order to congratulate all of you on the fact that our uh, collection of experimental comics is officially funded. Um, and I just want to say to all of you, not just to the people who are watching, because I don't know how many there are, and maybe there's two, and maybe there's a thousand, but maybe there's none. So to you guys who I can see. Um, this campaign is the first time I've ever participated in a Kickstarter or a crowdfunding campaign with this many people involved, where an impossible event occurred, where all the different pieces, disparate pieces that needed to happen were handed off to many different individuals who all did their job. I've been involved in lots of 
projects where people get part of a job handed to them and it's like the old group work saying right i hope everyone who ever participated in group work is at my funeral to lower me into the ground so they can let me down one last time this is the opposite of that thing right where you guys just all came through in so many different ways and i really appreciated it because i have been so busy this month so the fact that i could just focus on my little piece and do that part while everyone else did their parts uh you have my gratitude this is what i'd like to say now before uh i relinquish command of my tiny square on the internet here i want to ask you guys to each in turn sum up your relationship to comics why do you make comics why don't you just give up why do comics keep coming back into your lives regardless of all these other things we have to do and jonathan go feel pretty new to comics you know like uh, this uh, the eye collector heavy metal is my first comic that i ever wrote and then in dead work is the other ones i've done like you know like i i don't know if i have a relationship with comics yet other than you know ever since i was a kid when i've picked up sandman number six you know which i'd seen comics before but i'd never seen something like sandman number six and ever since i saw that issue uh I just had it in my head, like I got to do that, you know. Uh, I didn't know what was gonna, how it was gonna happen exactly, but um, you know, I've been chasing, trying to do something like Sandman number six, my uh, my whole career so far. And so, to me, like, I, I don't even know what the reason is precisely, but there's just something about that alchemy of words and pictures, you know, and that kind of um, the page turn, what you can do with the page turn, you know, there's just something about the medium that I think is really interesting. Uh, I've been a bit too much of a control freak, I think, to get to it before now, but now that I've kind of gotten comfortable with a relinquishing level of control, but still having like the ability to, like feeling confident enough I can do certain things, you know, with the little control I have, uh, it's, um, I, it just is an interesting medium that I think has a lot of interesting alchemy uh, available to an artist so in terms of relinquishing control we have groups of writers and artists or we have a group of writers and artists here and for those who are new to understanding what comics are often a writer comes in with a script and an illustrator comes in and tries to interpret that script but that is just the simplest way to describe a very complicated interplay of bringing somebody's words to life visually why don't I pick on Steven, uh, who's worked with a number of the writers in this collection, collective here, to talk about the different ways in which you take words and turn them into pictures. Well, there's, 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 there's a lot of ways, but, you know, I'll be honest, I really only do it one way. I just look at the script, I just draw, 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 draw. I don't know, turning words into pictures, uh, it's an interesting question. I'm kind of rambling you did it now. For, for Lyndon, and you did it for uh, Jordan. Uh, did I miss anyone? Jonathan uh, Jerkson, yeah. He's yeah. working on that. So, what was it like working for those? Like, is everyone has a different voice, a different way of turning in a script, a different ask when the panels start coming in? Well, and just to be clear, you don't need to specify who your favorite is. Yeah. Oh, I, think, I think you shouldn't. You can. Oh, we all you know. You can do that. 
This no, is no, not what secret I, I get treated so well as an artist <laughs> when when a writer comes to me with a script, be it um, option A, option B, or option C. Uh, they go, "How do you how do you like your script to be?" And I go, "Write your words. Tell me what's on the panels, and I'll draw them. And if I don't like how you drew the pa- how you wrote out the panels, I'll just change them, and I won't tell you." Um, and that's just kind of how I do. I, I've i found now, be it a benefit of being an artist or just like, I don't know, the dynamic of, I'm newer to comics compared to, I mean, I've mean, been doing this for a little while, but like, um, my experiences are slim, like three writers, right? And I, what I've found is, is we really figure out how that script is gonna work and, um, and, and how I'm gonna read it before we even write, before they even write it. So it's like, it's, it feels like people are like catering to, to, to what I need to, to make sure the art gets done the best and the fastest. And I would say I really appreciate that from the arts. I really appreciate these guys for doing that kind of work um, because it helps me get my work done really fast and it helps me get my best work done. And, uh, and then I get to feel the nuances of each writer in that kind of set of rules. And it's really, it's really cool. So Zach, you write your own work and you illustrate other people's work. Yep. Why don't you speak to that idea of uh, when your best work is coming out? What are the different barriers between you and the work when it's your idea or when it's when a writer's idea? Yeah, I. So I mean, Lyndon's gonna laugh because I like having a script uh, from someone else, but I don't heavily regard it necessarily. <laughs> I like being able to do, so I have a framework to not do that. It's nice to be like, well, I won't be doing that, but where am I going to go now? And it's nice to have somebody present a thing that I should be doing. Um, Any of my teachers from any stage of school would probably have heard the same kind of thing. I like being told what to do so I can not do it. And that's very helpful to my artistic process. Um, Which is exceedingly frustrating to a writer, I believe. (laughs) I believe you're describing oppositional defiance. (laughs) It's one of my, yeah, core personality things, unfortunately. An enduring trait as an artist. Um, But why don't you, you did a whole bunch of short, um, like, very short but very different in flavor types of stories in this collection. How did this come about? Why Why did this happen? Why is there so much Zach in this collection? And how do we get more of it? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, my five comics in the book, four of them are four-page character intros to D&D characters. One written by Lyndon, one by my friend Josh Rose, and two by me. And then there's also a thread story, which is a continuation of my full-length graphic novel. Um, so the four character intros, I think, were the interesting one, because they're the same idea of introducing a new D&D character, giving them a four-page little splashy comic, and then... Two of them were written by me, two by friends, and they all turned out tonally quite different, even though they're the same idea, and I really think that I did a good job of like showing off the strengths of Lyndon's character in writing. That's a cool little twist on a... It's like a heist movie, almost, in four pages. Uh, Josh wrote a great little, like... I don't even know how to describe it. Meditative little feel-good story about a barbarian, somehow. Then I wrote two goofy... Well, no, one goofy nonsense thing about my archaeologist, and one anxiety-ridden kung fu expert thing. I don't know. 
they're all very, very different, but I had a lot of fun doing them. And it's kind of cool to see the different flavors that the writers baked into their stories and trying to bring that out. So we let the writers have a say for a minute, or I should say we let the artists have a say for a minute. Maybe we should let the artists chime in. Uh, Jordan, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it's like getting your words across to artists, and is there a moment where you open your inbox and you're not sure what has just come out? Uh, Every every moment in comics is that, I think, but uh, I don't know. It, it sounds like there's like a negative connotation to that. Like, oh, you're like you're scared or nervous or something might be wrong with it. But that's not the case ever at all. Like, I'm always just so amped to see how it's different because it's always good. Right. The artist's interpretation of a page is always better than what I have in my non-artist brain. So uh, I love it. I love it every time. Every artist I worked with, I worked with three different artists in this book. Two of who, whom are sitting in this chat with us right here. Chris right above me and uh, Steven's over that way on, on my screen anyway. <laughs> um, and yeah, with both of them, I just gave them, I don't know, like scripts, but but I didn't know how good they were going to look at the end. You know, you don't know that as a as a writer. And then when when they turn back those pages and they're, they, they change your ideas, like Steven was saying, like, oh, maybe change a panel that they think is not working in their brain and and it turns out way better i love it i love telling stories with my friends that's why i make comics and and uh that's what we did here we all told stories with our friends together chris can you and jordan tell me about how you come up come to the color choices in your story that's all chris 100 percent. okay then chris yes, you're on, the on it. okay um i just do the same color scheme for a lot of comics i just use split complementary which i just think works it gives you three colors, and then I just work within that. I decide one thing is props, one thing is backgrounds, one thing is characters, and then I sort of intermingle them. Although I didn't really do that for Night of the Hive, but it's just um, just very strict color choices. And I, I just go with something that gives you multiple options, but is somewhat like closer knit than like if you're doing like a triad uh, color scheme. Uh, but has more diversity than like an analogous color scheme. So I just stick with split complementary. This is kind of my go. I think you stuck pretty closely on like the first draft of it, and then you sent it to me, and you were like, "Could I change some of the colors of the characters to to increase the readability?" And I was like, "Sure, whatever you think is best." Yeah. <laughs> and you did so. Like the col the colors on the characters kind of changed through the process of you making them um, to help with like differentiating like every every aspect of the panels. Making it all more readable and more beautiful. Is there an what interesting? Actually, what I really you... in, enjoyed about your paneling, Chris, is it's Night of the Hive, and it's like honeycomb paneling. It felt yeah. like, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was cool. I totally, I totally went for that, especially on like I think it's page three. Page three, oh, yeah. yeah. There's literally just a hexagon in the middle of the page. I was like, why not? <laughs> Um, is there an interesting story about how you came across using this color method in comics? It's not very common in too many visual uh, medium that I see, but I also usually pick a very limited palette, so I'd be curious to know as to your reasons for that. We could do a little comparison. Um, I think my 
My, okay, so the answer is two part. One, I believe in like having setting rules for yourself as an artist and just sticking to them for the sake of consistency. Um, and I guess another part of it is I like a lot of uh, the aesthetics of like retro games from like the NES or the Game Boy Color, and those have very limited color palettes. You usually a single sprite tile can only use four different colors in it, um, but also it probably comes down to uh, a mild lack of ability of rendering realistic colors and lighting. Like, if I just use a limited color palette, I can just, like, be safe and stick with these colors, whereas instead of trying to figure out what, like, the reflected light looks like on the edge of this thing while it's in this kind of lighting, you know, so. But that's Which my... Which stops you from thinking too much? Three part. Maybe a little bit, yeah. which is a problem I have. Um, do you find this is a sort of shout out to all the artists then do you find that once those rules are in place that um, okay no I'll, I'll say I'll frame it as a statement I find that when I have a certain number of rules in place it allows me to relax a little bit and just lean into the process of making things because now I have rules to follow instead of there being any way to do it I'm doing it this way and so now I have some framework to work within an experiment with. Uh, is that the same for all of, uh, for you guys, that you need to like set some rules for yourself before you can start on the page? Or do you discover that along the way? I guess it's a folded question in like, at what point do you know, this is the style, this is the color, I'm ready to go. Chris is laughing because my question unfolded like origami. Um, um. I would say definitely. I. Um... Like, once those rules are in place, it's a little bit easier. The trick is finding out what those rules are for the different aspects of a given project, right? So, like, the, having the color thing decided makes that easy. But then, like, for Night of the Hive, I did maybe two or three, even four different passes with how to do the line art. Because I couldn't figure that out. And then I eventually settled on it. But, yeah. Um, I made a bunch. I made a bunch of palettes back in ACAD that are just these grids that doesn't show up super well, but they're these grids of like full intensities in the middle row, and then steps of white going up and steps of black going down, and they're just like a grid of two colors and where they intersect in the middle and make a neutral kind of color, and I use those for almost everything. So instead of um, split complementary, I just they're not always complementary, but I just do two colors, usually a warm and a cool, and then the steps of gray in between them and the steps of lighter and darker, the shades and tints, I guess. Um, and those have gotten me very far. It's just nice to have, like, I, I pick uh, two colors based on the mood of the comic I'm doing. Like when I covered uh, colored Steven's book, I picked this orange and blue color palette I've beat to death over my career um, because it fit the kind of spooky Halloween vibes of this cool bar and the werewolf and vampire thing going on. These purples and oranges kind of really worked well together for that. So I picked two colors based on the mood and then Stick to mostly that. Every now and then you have to fudge a color a little bit and add something else, but two-tone palettes seem to work for me. I, I studied um, who Lee Lowridge and uh, Matt Hollingsworth, was it? Yeah, those two are my favorite colorists, I'd say. And, Hollingsworth um, is such a good colorist. Yeah. The two of them are just... They do all the flat color books like Deadly Class and like Hawkeye. Those are the two who do like that two-tone or limited palette flat coloring stuff that I just... Like on David Aha's work and Wes Craig, I guess... That's my favorite thing. Um, so I, I try to do a lot of that. The odd gradient to help uh, push dimensions in comics, but I, I try to do a lot of flat color stuff because 
just looks so good when you have a limited palette like that. And those two are the best. I got off topic, but I stand by it. You're on topic. I'm going to bring us around to Linden in a minute, but I want to hear from Steve on this topic. Yeah, yeah. with colors, I, I don't make a lot of choices. I tend to look at like a type of uh, film that I like the color scheme on. And, and, then and then I try, I try to recreate that, that but while at the same time trying to keep it as tight and tight as possible because I kind of idolize Zach's colors and try to keep like a, a tight color scheme. <laughs> but uh, it, it can be difficult when I'm like, I have all these different characters and I'm trying to keep certain things consistent from page to page as the scenes change. Um, so there'll be certain anchor colors and then I kind of like pull in one direction or the other. And, and I don't, I don't really make, make decisions on the spot. I'll like go and go and go until it looks correct. So I'll like I'll change sliders and I'll change I'll like select every one color and and, and adjust the hue and saturation and stuff like that. But uh, um, I don't make a lot of rules. I just do my best to uh, to create a mood and keep it as simple as possible. And sometimes the simple part doesn't always come through. But um, I try to. Try to, try to create that mood with the color, so it just, it just sometimes, sometimes takes a little bit of extra time. Okay, so pivoting back around to some stuff we were talking about before, uh, Linda, why don't you tell me your relationship to comics? How did you get into this crazy game? And uh, where do you get off both writing and lettering comics? How dare you? Um, first, the answer to your first question is two-pronged. I got into comics because I went to law school. It's just the short answer of that, that, that question. Um, I love comics uh, because of the community that comes along with it and the aspect of teamwork. Um, you know, I've dabbled in prose, but there's so much, it's so different than working in comics and being accountable to another person or a team of people and the the sorts of incredible um, ideas that you can produce when it's more than one mind coming up with those ideas. And I'm continuously amazed by the, the result of mixing my ideas with someone else's ideas. Um, lettering, I letter because I don't think that this is gonna, I don't wanna be like rude in this, but um, when I was, when Steven and I were working on our first book and I was just the writer, you know, I looked at the time commitment of being a writer versus being an artist and, and thought, you know, I need to pull my weight in this relationship and being a writer is not enough um, to, to do that. So I decided that I was going to learn to letter also. And, you know, I joke about this quite often in that anyone online right now tells you if you're going to if you want to make a professional looking comic book hire a professional letterer otherwise it's going to look like it's going to look bad and uh, in most cases i'd say they're probably right and maybe i should have listened but i didn't listen and so i lettered infinite universe our first book probably three or four times all the way through the book to get it to a point where um it was you know technically sound if not um you know, as, as stylistically, you know, precise as I am now, or a little more refined as I am now. But, um, the answer to the question is simply, I wanted to do more in that, in that, um, role as a team 
player and uh, I found that being a writer, in my opinion, just wasn't enough to satisfy me. I find that I am, just on this particular point, when I would letter my own work, I would constantly catch myself rewriting without consideration right into the bubble. You know, I'd be working from a script or I'd have it laid out and then I would have illustrated everything and be working to a precise uh, measure. And then I'd be like, oh, maybe it should say this now that I'm lettering it. And sometimes that effect was wonderful. You'd have this moment of inspiration that really lifted up the whole work. But sometimes I would uh, uh, cut off my own nose despite my face trying to be clever in the moment just before it went off to print. Uh, it's so nice you, to be able to take out that one word that makes the balloon actually fit. That's so nice. And you can't do that with somebody else's words. Um, yeah. So it's I nice mean, to do your own stuff because you're like, this word is out. And I just saved myself a whole lot of headache. Lyndon, you yeah, can do play, that with my words. To play into something that Jonathan said earlier, and that was the aspect of control. Um, I really appreciate that, you know, it's my hands that are on the product. Mine are the last hands on the page before it gets finalized. Um, and in that, it's really nice to be able to pivot and change things as you need to better suit the art. Um, I'm sure you've said it before, Gregory. I know many professionals have said it before, but the act of being of working in comics is very is I don't know if they can call it like a dance, but the essentially, if you're not revising your script based on what the art looks like then you're skipping a very important step of the comics making process. And so as the letterer, I'm able to go in and do that and not have to, you know, create a, a, a second or third draft of the script that I then have to send to a letterer to, to make any changes or to, to change anything. I can make any changes on the fly sort of as I'm in the flow of putting the comic together and it's just an aspect of making comics that I feel really lucky that I'm able to do because I understand not everyone has the time to learn how to letter their own stuff. No, I saw Jonathan get really excited there. I think he has some things to say and I know because he works with me, I always send him curveballs in the art. So he's constantly having to rewrite things. Yeah. I, I actually might... wanted to go back to something Jordan was saying is in the same vein, which is, you know what one thing i realized kind of as he was um uh, talking about this idea with you know the art coming and you know it's that moment you know when you kind of open it up and so on one thing i realized with my own like books early on was that i didn't want people just to read them i wanted them to do things with them you know and so i designed my first book ex machina to be like this book you had to construct yourself almost and so on and and my Clockfire was like this place you can't produce. It was like a challenge to like find a way to produce them, you know. And I got really excited. Uh, like I know some of you, Zach went to ACAD. Like I got really. They used to teach my book at ACAD at one point, uh, and like students would do these cool projects based on it, and I get to see them and stuff. And what I really liked it was designing a book that then a reader could take and could build something of their own with you know the materials in the book almost. But the problem with that process is you know it may or may not happen that a reader has moved in that way or maybe they'll do it i won't even get to see it what i like about comics is it kind of like pulls that person building something out of your work into the process you know so like gregory like when i give you a script or something like i kind of get to see you make your own thing uh with that 
while in the process of making the book, as opposed to like maybe a reader will do it later, you know. And I'll say this about you, Jonathan. I send you more work in process, like panels as they're coming together and things like that, than I do almost anyone that I would collaborate with or have collaborated with. Because most people, when they see it malformed, will be will give input. Whereas you tend to only give input when I say, and okay, I think I'm done. Then you'll yeah, give I- input. Yeah, I just assume that anything you send me, you're still working on. And, it, you know, I, I don't even see the relevance of my input. I mean, maybe it's a bad way to think because it probably would be more helpful to get input <laughs> in the process. But to me, uh, it's yeah. like, why why uh, give you input? You're not even done it. Yeah, there were times when I was sending you some pages for She-Wolf and you were quick to point out. I, I should actually, you were slow to point out something I should have been quick to see is that the character had crept off model we that she sure, had taken yeah. on features uh just because i was sort of caught up in the in the making of the pages and i'd sort of lost some essential profile elements of the character and you're like okay is that even the same person i don't think it is and i'd be like yeah of course you're like well maybe you should double check line them up together you may find that they're not and you can get swept up as an artist in your own um fervor of creation and it is good to have a collaborator who is watching from a more sober position uh, and just saying, oh, we had a plan and it's nice to wend our way. We're taking a different path to that destination. Okay, that's fine, but recognize it has these results. But for the most part, when you send me something, I just see it as like, well, it's not my job to draw it. So like, why should I comment on it? You know what I mean? But I guess what you're saying is that's not normal. People tend to get in the, into that, the mix with that. Very much so, yeah, very much so. So it depends on, I mean, it depends. You pick your collaborators and you, you stick with people who you find it easy to work with. There is a new person has joined the stream, I see. Even. Someone who desperate uh, for a, yeah. like all artists, just a good belly. Steven um, was, uh, I, the next comic I did after working on Youth Eye Collector Gregory was Dirk Dirksen with Steven. And what was interesting about that was at one point, you know, so I give him a script and everything, right? And Stephen gives me like these, um, what do you call them? Like like pencils, like sketches thumbnails. and thumbnails. Oh, yeah. So he gives me kind of yeah. thumbnails. He's like, yeah, what do you think of these? I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you want me to say. Like, I don't think anything about <laughs> what what is this? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't know, it looks good. <laughs> like, I'm like, what's a what's a thumbnail? I had to like ask Lynn, like, what's this thumbnail? Why is Stephen showing me this? <laughs> You know, Why is Steve but it was really cool. I liked it, but I was like, "What am I? Am I supposed to do something with this?" Like, <laughs> I'm just so I feel like I'm so new to comics. Like in like I understand like the thumbnails would be a thing somebody would see, but like I don't know what I would what would what would my feedback be? Like I don't really even know because to me it's just like it's another like like obviously Steve will know better than I do what the. Th- thumbnail should look like what the thing should look like what am i supposed to tell them but but maybe it's like useful to get like a certain type of feedback i don't know well i find that my editorial feedback i receive on thumbnails is usually related to um the effectiveness of the page turn sure that's really what you're trying to set up you're trying to set up the architecture of the story and where it's going to land on the page turn um in Mass market comics that can be totally blown up by the fact that there's ad placement you have no control over. But in in the indie space, you have a lot more control over 
exactly the architecture of the book. And so that's where that thumbnail comes in. Or the stuff I did with Gillian Horton, I would send her roughed up pages um, because there was some very precise medical language that was going to be accompanying each of those pages. We did a book called Medicine, which was about the real emotional cost of a life working in medicine. And so it wasn't just about um, whether or not the art could run away with the story. There were some very precise beats. So uh, thumbnailing is a great process if there are some immutable pieces, some things that you're just not allowed to change. Yeah, that's something. That's something I've learned with um, thumbnailing. Is I, you initially learn like that? Oh, you need to do thumbnailing. Like all these, the big three, or at least Marvel and DC. I would assume once you to submit thumbnails, then submit this, or at least that's how I think I understand it. But I've learned that thumbnails, like over the time of doing this, I've learned that thumbnails, um, they just help me yeah design the page. And maybe nobody ever has to see them. Like Jonathan said, didn't probably didn't even matter, right? But for me, it helps me design the page. Like you said, the, the page turn as well. So in the indie space, at least, uh, it helps with directing the book. Speaking of um, thumbnails and particularly the page turn, I am interested in this topic with, with actually all the writers and the artists here. Um, how do you feel about scene changes that are not on the page turn? What do you mean? Some, some writers um, like to build their books or their, their layouts so that the page turn signifies the, the change of, the, of like a, a location change or a scene change. And some don't. They'll just, you know, they'll they'll do the scene change on the odd numbered page instead of the even numbered page. And I'm just interested in what your, everyone's views are on that decision. Ooh, I saw Chris have a deep ponderous expression. I want to hear from him first. Um, it was mostly, I don't have enough experience to have an opinion on this kind of expression. I'm like, do I, do I know enough about making comics to say definitively if I, have like any thoughts on it, right? Like any anything worth saying. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think it's. I don't think it necessarily matters. Um, I actually think it might be jarring for people if you think about it, where it's like, unless you frame it properly in the page going into the or the panel going into the page turn, if you suddenly turn a panel and you're now in a different location, the reader might be like off put slightly but if it's a transition on the same page it's less shocking i guess yeah an ensemble cast can handle a, a page turn as a location change a lot easier than a yeah. you know a streamlined narrative i think that's for sure true yeah um, like if you're jumping between characters uh point of view in different areas that's yeah but like let's say you've got a story and the character's going from point a to point b and you know, if that panel before that page turn doesn't indicate that we're going to be in a different location at some point, the, the reader might turn the page and be like, did I miss something? They might get confused. Check if their pages are stuck together. I once read an interview with Tom from Tom King, um, and he talked about when he first start, started doing comics, he was very fixated on the idea of doing scene changes on page turns because 
the the two page spread can act as sort of an insulated scene or an insulated beat. Um, and then he said he got to a certain point where it didn't matter anymore. He re- reached a point in his writing where he could make that transition in the middle of the two page spread and it still worked. And I just wondered if anyone had any strong opinion for or against um, that sort of practice. That's sort of a niche or niche comment, but um, we're here. My last several books have been without any kind of bleed over to the next page, so no two-page spreads. I keep everything like kind of as a one-page basis, and I think I want to start focusing more on that page turn as an interactive element of like it's a whole new thing you're switching to. So I like yeah. that idea. I haven't really used it. Like I haven't thought about it when I'm making my comics to this point, because I'm usually trying to print on the cheap, which means no bleeds, and so I kind of treat every page like its own thing. Um, which means that when it comes time to make the book, you can play around a lot and just put stuff wherever. Uh, so I'd like to do a project with a lot of bleeds and spreads, and I think it matters more when you deliberately think about it like that. But as for now, I've just been doing this page is like I do a page in a day, and that's my day's work, and that page in my mind is kind of a more separate thing. Um, but it seems fun to play with, so I think it'd be good to try both. It's okay, Zach. We'll put together a much larger book that involves page turns and full scenes. We should get some kind of giant government grant to help cover my expenses in the meantime, though. Yeah, we'll work on that. (laughs) I want to know what Steven's laughing at. I just thought it was funny, and I was going to say something, but I have my audio coming back through my headphones so that this stream works, and uh, I have to pick when I talk carefully because it just drives me crazy. Um, But... Lennon, could you clarify? Are you talking about doing like a like a scene change from like like bottom right of one page up to like the next page instead of on a page turn, like the reveal yes. on the opposing page? Well, it's it's not necessarily always a reveal, but a scene change in particular. So you know, you and I just did um, issue two of the Laundryman, which we're working on, and I know that for a fact that in that book. The scene change from the um, the night at the in the barn to the diner is not on a page turn, and that's because the rest of the pacing of the scenes surrounding that scene change um, were such that I needed to prioritize those page turns and those reveals rather than have to stretch out a short moment into a double page spread just so that I could get a scene change on a page turn. Um, and I just I wondered... opinion on that, then. No, I, please. I think it's great. Um, I always bring a lot of my thinking with comics back to how movies work, and, and I'm, I'm not a filmmaker. I just watch a lot of movies. Um, but, like, you can have... Even though we're going from, like, outside in the dark to, like, inside in the daytime, it... It, it's still like you can use the opposing page like a, like a non-page turn scene change because it'll feel like a, like a George Lucas wipe, you know? It's just a nice mm. soft scene change. It's inconsequential. We're just moving the story along. And you, you, I think you can do that because you're all the way down here at the, at the bottom of the page and then you're going all the way up. So like there is that brief moment where you're not focused on anything. So you still have at least that nice change um whereas you can reserve those page turns for like we'll say star wars um where you go from like say the conversation between luke and vader 
in Jedi, and then we go, we swap, and it's the space battle. That's what the page turns for. So you can do softer switches, and, and I don't, I don't have any problems with it. Um, you are, you're very good at planning that on the script too, and, and so I don't even think about it. I'm just like, oh, okay, that makes sense, you know. Yeah, it really depends on whether or not you have foreknowledge of how much control you have of the actual layout. Like when I was doing stuff with uh, uh, Kevin Anderson for the Clockwork Lives graphic novel, it was an anthology similar to ours in that it was a huge number of artists in different styles writing short chapters of a very big collection. Um, I had no knowledge of where I would land in the overall collection, where the, whether my page one was going to be a facing page or a turned page, I didn't know. So I had to construct each one as if it kind of stood on its own and had a payoff that just led to the first panel. And often, if you're doing short works, you don't know. You won't know, and it won't be up to you. Um, and in our, we had the luxury of having, a, uh, having Adam, our editor, give us a little input in that layout choice, which probably drove him crazy it, because I put some notes in my submission, like this must be a facing page, this must be a two-page spread, or I'm out taking my toys and I'm yep. going home, right? Well, I remember I was talking to him as he was putting together the layout and he was asking just for like some general advice on how he should approach it and I had, and I, it was basically like it became a puzzle, right? Because I was like, well, odd numbered page, or like most comics prefer to start on the odd numbered page. Um, we have a couple of comics that are evenly numbered, so they probably need to go back to back because then they be, if you start them on an odd numbered page, then they'll end on an odd numbered page. Um, and you can flow into the the rest of the comics. And thankfully, Gregory, you had provided a comic that not only worked really well to open the book, but was three pages, meaning that it ended on an even-numbered page, and we could start all the rest of the preceding comics on the odd-numbered page, which is the intention of most comic writers. Um, it's funny, because that one I was convinced would be cut. I thought that one was like the strangest, weirdest little short like It's gag. for sure my favorite one in the whole book. <laughs> I was like... They're gonna cut this one for sure, but I'm gonna submit it, and I hope the editor likes it. And then it turned into the mascot, essentially, for the whole thing. It's, so it's a great cool. tone-setting comic. It is, and yeah, the mascot um, thing—he looks so good in all the ads. Like it's so intriguing and weird to see the creepy face and the crow on his head saying something. Like everything about that was so good for the ads. I think, because we're saying 22 weird comics, and there's the weirdest dude you've ever seen. That I think really helped push the book. Well, it's funny too, right? That that. Um... Uh, method of the exquisite corpse for anyone watching that doesn't know is a way where an artist draws part of the drawing hands it to another artist they do another thing uh, and so this character is called the exquisite corpse so I wanted to include him because I felt like our whole book was kind of like that absolutely uh, no it's a good tone setter Adam is a visionary mm -hmm. uh, I had a lot of fun seeing Justin's uh, updated artwork for our little story we had done that one good while back for a charity and we just really liked it but we had no place else to put it and there's this weird thing that goes on where a lot of people who want original content they don't they want to be the first one to get it into print and so a weird miasma hangs over work that 
printed somewhere else, even though in our case it was for it was for a charity, like a children's charity. But that was withholding it from being published in other places. And so the fact that we could just take control of that thing that we owned and put it in a book that was really uh, really gratifying. And Justin played around with some amazing. He usually does very clean vector illustrations, and he played with textures in this one and noise in a way that he normally doesn't. So he got to go back to existing artwork and experiment with some final outputs, which was, for me, really exciting to see. Talking, like we were saying, Jordan, about stuff showing up in your inbox, and it's like, oh, not what yeah. I expected, but so much better than I imagined. It's amazing. Yeah, such a great thing to do. Uh, so our book is going to be real gentlemen how does that make you feel weird i guess our me book and was always the only real. two people who have fondled it in person the proofs i got at least i That's mailed true. gregory a copy a while back and we've both gotten yeah, to I... sniff that heady vapor of a new book and uh the new book feeling of opening a new book even if it is as we as it's called in the business a dummy book right just a, a, no, a one off want... so that I want the play-by-play -play on Gregory you receiving that because you didn't know it was coming, right? I gave Zach your address. Correct. Contrary to my explicit instructions that you should never let anyone know where I live. Actually, you, you sent me a thing a while ago and I just threw it out, like the packaging at least. So I should have had your address. I just don't write things down. Yeah, I'm Gre just being silly. Gregory, I so knew I this was a good exception to me. I, uh, I had ordered... Um, uh, the what was it? Unpossible Beast? Something? Jonah and the Unpossible? Jonah and the Unpossible? Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorites. Chris Samney. Oh, I actually thought that's what had arrived, so I was like, ooh, ooh, my book is here, and I opened it, and for a brief moment, I said, what the hell is this? Oh, this is from Zach. Wait, this is our book. How is this possible? How am I holding our book? We haven't printed it yet. So it was a nice little twist through in my mind. Um, but there's nothing more exciting than that potential of where it can go after that once you're holding that book and the work is done and uh, the copy is arranged and you know that everything else is just academic now print it put it in people's hands it gives you such confidence to go on and say okay the work I'm doing now that I don't know what it'll be for has a purpose I don't maybe know it now but there is a future for all of these weird little disparate things that you create just in order to be creative. Why don't we take a minute and talk about what everyone's working on right now? Maybe not right this second, but... I just texted Riley because I forgot. He was supposed to blurb our book so we can send it off to the printer, and I forgot to harass him. So I just did. Um, Riley Rosmo, international man of mystery and Batman no big artist. Deal. And thanks to Riley Rosmo. I'm gonna, have to, I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna have to bail out on you guys in a minute for my own, you know. Are you putting family, family first reason. too? I, 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 I have to shamefully put family first. In, uh, but well, then I'll answer Gregory's question first. Yes. Which is, um, uh, with Gregory, I'm working on more Eye Collector, uh, oh. so we are very excited about um, doing that. So uh, I'm. Just uh, Gregory has done the art for issue six, 
I am rewriting text for she says to be kind of broken the story and laid it kind of storyboarded it out together. And the lone issue, a single complete delicious meal. Mm-hmm. So a single complete standalone eye collector story before another eye collector story arc. And so uh, I just am, I'm kind of the hold up on the project right now. And uh, I'm just kind of writing to the images, like based on what we had agreed I would write. I'm just kind of finalizing the text and then uh handing off to Lyndon there uh who's going to do the lettering on it so that's what i it's my big project at the moment uh yeah i'm keen on it it's probably my first project where i because i have such a um a developed relationship with the letterer i really thought about you often Lyndon. where i was like oh yeah right yeah, Lyndon will letter it in this way. I have to make sure this negative space exists. I have to think about that. And that was interesting for me to have the team be the same team. Changed some of my layouts, you know, I was sort of disregarding whatever Jonathan might be saying on that page, but I was making sure there was room for you to put it there. There's, there's room for him to say it. Yeah, that's right. Room for him to say it. For sure. Um, but no, all of you have project so don't be shy just jump in or would you like me to tag you in well, i can jump in because uh, i have a book with Lyndon, a big full-length book that i'm working on as of next week when things calm down from this whole nightmare um and i'm working on a book with gregory chimichuk of um eye collector fame uh so we're working on that i want to get back to that and jordan and i are talking um about an upcoming project potentially and is that all the writers know jonathan and i are talking about a project so Two in progress, two hypothetical future foibles. It'll be good. That's everybody then. Is that a complete set? No, I haven't gotten Chris art on something. I think I've worked with everybody else in the Dead Work Collective then. Once I you get need Chris, Chris to write you some D&D. Yes, right. Yes. Okay, so I'll collaborate with short everybody. story. All the Dead Work. And if we um, make a right volume two of Dead Work, it won't uh, be any Dead Work. It'll be all Laundry alive. Issue two? Nope, no, I just finished Laundryman issue two. We're gonna Laundryman issue, issue two, three. And uh, I'm just got this this train of comics that I have to do that are just they're all right here right now. And uh, so Laundryman issue two, issue three, then we're gonna have uh, Dirk Dirks and we're gonna finish issue one, then we got there was another life. It's just wonderful. It's just a great time for for always a great time for comics, great time for Steven and comics. So and a shout out to Lyndon for finding money for all of those somehow. Man pulls grants out of thin air. Those are all under my name. I got those grants. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, Lyndon's garbage. Steven's where it's at. <laughs> no, oh, you know what? Lyndon done for anybody back to something. Yeah, I told Lyndon, Lyndon how to make write a grant. He's like, oh, I wanted to letter to like share the load and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he does other things too. He's basically my manager, and I think everybody else. Who has done work with him would know him. He'd be he a great man. That's the reason I hired so, you. Yeah. So like, I don't know yeah, how he finds time for anything else. I'm such a diva. Oh, we're like making him blush. the center, Lyndon, of the whole thing. Yeah, okay, so... I'm trying screen. to make you blush. It's just yeah, my job. One of, one of the things that um, my fiancé knows about me is uh, that I'm not great at always taking compliments, <laughs> but... Um, you know, one of my joys in comics over the last little while has been 
that I've been fortunate enough to find some funding for my the artists that I work with. And that really means a lot to me because at some point or another prior to this, they've all the artists here have taken a, have taken a chance on me. And it makes me feel really good that I can sort of return that in a monetary fashion. Um, so right now, yeah, it's, it's Zach and I are going to be working on a full length book. Um, it's been picked up by a publisher. We've been lucky enough to get some grant funding for it. Steven and I are working on two books. Um, both have got some grant funding for them. One of them has currently been picked up by a publisher. Um, Chris and I are slowly working on a book. I'm trying to find some funding for him and then we'll worry about a publisher. Uh, um, but we're also working on a short comic right now together too. And uh, obviously I get to work on more eye collector with Jonathan and Gregory, which I'm very excited about. And uh, I am hoping that when Jordan is ready for another full book that he will need a letterer and I will be able oh, yeah. to work with him again too. So oh, yeah. It right. is and I found you that big group. lettering thing to letter a lot of books. Yeah, we're not, uh, that hasn't started yet. I'm not, that's not on my slate yet as far as in progress projects go. Two weeks away. Yeah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> that leaves so, you and I, yes. Chris. Okay, I'll go now because I have to leave in 10 minutes for D&D. Um, I've got a project with Linden, which is a fairly big comic, and maybe I got, I, oh, we lost someone. Yeah, Jonathan had to go. Oh, he he's leaving. That was the wave. Okay. Yeah. Um, big project with Lyndon, uh, but potentially maybe it was too big for me. I, I said, make a comic as long as you want. And I, maybe it was a horrible mistake on my part because I see no, a page right. count and I'm like, ooh. Um, overwhelmed is, I guess, the term I would use. And then we've got our a short. It's like, a, was it 10 pages? Eight pages? Mm, 10 pages. 10 pages that we're working on. Uh, and then I've got another short with Jordan, which, based on the script, is probably not going to be applicable for the um, <laughs> the, the uh, contest that is going into. It's a little a little more risque. Maybe. Than, uh, I mean, they said PG thirteen. I mean, that's up to you. You're the artist, so I mean. Look, I'm going to draw the things in the panels you told me to draw, and if I draw all, those things, you're drawing all the dicks that I told you to draw in that yes. comic. Yes. Um, between for so the fourteen, maybe. And then I just said the word. It's not. I'm sh not showing anything. Um, Rich Jordan and I also have another comic in very early pre-production. I would say still in co semi-concept phase. Like we have the general idea, um, but we haven't really like hammered out much besides. Like you wanted to do a, a few more drafts on just like the the uh, outline. Yeah, I'm not loving where I have it right now. So yeah, that's on and me. Then, and then. I get bored when I'm at work, so I write on my phone, and I have a few solo projects that I have written up out of result of that. Um, but I'm not going to go into those, because if I speak about projects before I start them, they won't happen. Ah, uh, yes, the curse. I know that curse well. Yeah. I know that curse well. Yeah. In Jordan. That leaves me, and I don't have much of an answer beyond that i have sent chris like a hundred different ideas where i'm like let's do this and let's do this and this other weird thing because chris is makes super weird art and i just want to write super weird stories so i'm just pushing the limits and seeing how far before he says you've gone too far so uh, thing. 
that, yeah, you got that too much time on your hands. <laughs> we could work I, on our I, thing this, I thought the, the one that you're talking about, which you say is probably pushing too far to make it into the anthology we're trying to get it into. Yeah. I sent you that first draft. Yeah. And I really thought I had, I thought I went way overboard. And you were like, oh, no, yeah. nothing in this is weird. Everything's fine. And I was like, let me do a second draft. <laughs> and the second draft, you're still like, yeah, everything's fine. So maybe I'll do a third draft. Who knows? More Richard. Um, yeah, but uh, I'm just sending him all these ideas. If Steven ever becomes free from uh, from Lyndon's monetary shackles, <laughs> whoops. Maybe one day we'll get to do something uh, a little longer. And obviously, I'm looking forward to uh, to the other super secret thing that Zach and I were talking about. But that's about it. I just want to work with the three artists who are sitting here. Well, I forgot Gregory. <laughs> <laughs> who I do definitely know about as well, but you know, three and a half that, artists that might be a little longer down Yikes. the line. And as Lyndon suggested, yeah, I'm gonna need letterer on um on everything. So yeah, this is like how the, I this is how I secure my future is I surround myself with other people who need my work. The um the scripts that Jordan has sent me, it's just like <laughs> actually yes, the experimental one was like silent unlettered comic. Yeah, and, but then the other one we're working on that's like still in the pre-production phase. It's like uh, um, author Jordan, art by Chris, l- letters probably Lyndon. Yeah, yeah. I did that right. for Night of the Hive and for Vertilac, yeah. my two of the shorts in this too. I, I wrote in like lettering probably by Lyndon, I assume. Yeah, I, I assume mean, at you this do, point too. You do a good job, and you're available for us. So, yeah. and it's no fun to letter books. So, I've tried and failed yourself. horribly. I like lettering books. I'm just not partic- I don't have a precise enough mindset to land it properly every time. It it's, uh, requires such care and deliberation to do it well. Um, yep. So when I'm in the right mood, I really like. I like lettering short comics, like four or five little page things. I love doing the word balloons and building that all out for something short. But I have two, three full-length graphic novels right now that. Uh, Two of them need a letter. One of them you already lettered uh, four out of five parts of it, Lyndon, anyway. So part five is coming your way. Uh, Wonderful. See, this is how this is how I sustain my life. Mm-hmm. I am going to pass the torch of this uh, stream conversation leading over to Zach now. Zach, it's your job to wrangle Back these off monsters. The rails. I must uh, sign off because I too have I too have family responsibilities that I must go to. But I really enjoyed making this book with you guys. I really enjoyed uh, seeing it come together and launching this Kickstarter and I'll do it again in a heartbeat so I can't wait for Dead Work 2. Yeah, let's do it again. We don't yeah. talk about Dead Work 2. Not, uh, not yet. Too soon. Too soon, yeah. My heart we need, we need some actual dead work. <laughs> yeah. Pulp Science Anthology. All right, this is uh, Gregory signing off. Thanks so much for having me in the stream. Talk soon. Oh, oh, Captain, my captain. Well, he was a very good MC, and now I'm going to go back to just goofing off. Uh, have yeah, I shown goof. you my Frog Knight work three times? Right, here we go, back to Frog Knight. Because <laughs> I bought this, and it's pretty. Yeah!